0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
1: Welcome, everybody, uh, to a new world. (laughs) Exciting new world. Uh, Welcome to Bros. Pot. Uh, I'm Bill Roden, uh, recording here in Columbus, Ohio, here with, uh, my great co-host, uh, uh, Aaron over here. Uh, Aaron, how you doing? Good,
2: Bill. Good to see
1: you. How's, how's Columbus? Well, Tom Price can tell you that. It's the same. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but then, uh, of course, uh, at the top of the screen, got the great Jamal Murphy. Mur- Murph, what's going on?
0: Great to be here, Bill. Glad we're doing this. I'm, I'm in uh, the epicenter of, of all this, they're saying now, New York City. So I'm yes. definitely inside.
1: Yes. Well, actually, our guest, the great Tom Price, the great cardiologist in the country, is actually in the epicenter. Mm. Uh-oh, Tom. Tom has disappeared for a minute. Uh, there he is. Oh, there you go.
3: I'm back. Oh, yes. Okay.
1: Yes. Uh, Tom Price, you know. Now, which, which hospital are you in now, Tom, or are you in the office?
3: Well, actually, I'm, I'm in an office in the hospital, and this is Montefiore Mount Vernon Hospital, but I'm actually at one of the epicenter hospitals, Montefiore, New Rochelle, wow. which has more cases than most places in New York, except New York City. Wow. Wow.
1: wow. So, our guest is a great Thomas Price, and so happy to join us, man, A for a lot of reasons, uh, but if if you're going to do any kind of show on anything, you got to have a doctor. And, <laughs> no uh, question.
2: Yeah.
0: Exactly.
1: Uh, Dr. Price is also my, um, uh, was, uh, my um, uh, what do you call it? Damn. Your
2: physician. Sorry, physician? But, physician.
1: Not, not just a physician, but um, no, Tom, what do you call it? Uh,
0: internist. Uh,
1: internist. Yes.
3: Internist. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs>
1: You have to explain what that means. Well, what is, yeah, what does an internist mean? I mean, everybody says, those well, this is my internist. I just see it as somebody who basically, especially is cardiology, but you could also refer me to other people, right, depending on if something else is going on. What's an internist?
3: Well, an internist is the someone who practices internal medicine, and that's how they get to be called an internist, where a general practitioner is generally called a GP, uh, so I, it turns out that I, I, I'm a specialist. Before you do a subspecialty like cardiology or pulmonology, you do do internal medicine first. So I, I did that uh, as training and then went straight into cardiology. So if, you know, I can do internal medicine, but 80% of my patients are heart patients.
1: Yeah. Ah, right. so, so what's the, you know, uh, Jamal talked about, you know, Jamal and Aaron are in a, New York in the city. And uh, of course I'm, I'm in the heartland but you are in Westchester, which is really ground zero, ground zero. What, what's it, what's it been like, man, for the past week or so for you as a physician, have you ever seen or been involved in anything like this?
3: No, there's been nothing like this before. Uh, and I kind of have a unique position in that being in New Rochelle, I'm in that, I actually live in that containment area. And it's not quarantine. There's a difference between quarantine and contain. The containment area meant that you were in an area where they were going to try to keep the virus from getting out by having people do certain things. The schools were going to close. The churches were going to close. The places of business were going to close. But the National Guard wasn't out there keeping you from leaving. There was nothing like that. In fact, the National Guard came, and they were very sophisticated delivery guys and and housekeepers. They were going around cleaning up the churches and the schools, and they were delivering food to the people who were shut in. So they were very helpful. And I, I didn't mean that disrespectfully. The National Guard, no, but they were being very helpful. But they weren't doing—they weren't enforcing anything. But you know, it's—it's it, been different in that I live in the community where the guy, the lawyer with the virus, kind of was the initiator, and I also go to New York Presbyterian Lawrence Hospital, where he went. So he goes there with what people thought was just a, a cold, a virus. He was admitted to a regular floor. He got admitted to the ICU when he deteriorated from a respiratory standpoint. And then finally, he, he was so sick, he got transferred to Columbia Presbyterian when with made the diagnosis. And all those people who saw him, about 14 people um, of nurses, staff, had to be quarantined to make sure they didn't spread the virus. Thanks. So I will tell you that it's been unique in that Um, I spend a lot of hours in the hospital with sick people. Uh, Both hospitals have resident staff, and these are young doctors in training. Uh, Many of them, like me, have never seen this before. But unlike me, I have experience with sick patients and critical situations. So um, I think I am concerned, but I am not overly concerned or scared. I think some of them are scared, and I understand, because they are um, not very well exposed. Uh, I was telling one of my friends, I'm not exactly like that guy from Apocalypse Now who stood up and said, you know, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. I mean, he just knew he was bulletproof and going home. Uh, That would be foolish, but I don't think you can do this if you are timid or scared. Uh, So it's been a unique experience from any standpoint. Uh, I think the only two good things about it I can think of is that both of my adult children are home with me in New Rochelle and I'm riding my bike, and there is no traffic I
0: love it. Right, right right right. what about um you know we've we've heard from cuomo, uh Governor Cuomo, uh, we hear it every day uh the you know the the fear or that there will be you know a lack a lack of um you, you know lack of space, lack of beds um that there already is that that problem. Is that something that you're seeing as far as the New York hospitals are concerned?
3: Uh, I'm not seeing it yet, Um, but I think people are properly preparing for worst-case scenario, that there's going to be a lot of people who are exposed, who get sick. Keep in mind that the majority of people who get the virus um, don't get very sick. They may feel like they got a light cold, and there are a few people walking around who have absolutely nothing who have the virus, and they don't get sick. And there's the other extreme, the people who get very sick, critically ill, and on respirators in New York state unfortunately somewhere in the early 2000s uh, there was a commission who went around and said there were too many beds in New York and over the last years or so absolutely over the last 15 years or so there's been a downsizing of hospital beds and a major closing of hospitals around the state of New York i think at that time it sounded like a good idea but it does leave us short when something like a pandemic occurs so we're kind of struggling um, in some respects. Most hospitals still have beds, but they don't have the running out of intensive care units for the very sick patients. So those patients are going to be an issue. Uh, I did receive a uh, email today from the state of New York and the governor of New York who are asking retired physicians and physicians who were, for whatever reason, not practicing um, to fill out this questionnaire to see if they were available to come in and to help assist um, if the need occurs. All of the elective surgery uh, has been canceled. Uh, Doctors who work in hospital clinics, those clinics are not seeing patients. So they anticipate that these doctors uh, who do sort of general medicine, general surgery, will now come inside the hospital to do acute care medicine. So hopefully there won't be a shortage of doctors, but but that's also a possibility. So wait a minute, Tom, don't we want to know why
1: somebody's not practicing? I mean, I get somebody's retired, but I mean, don't we got to have to vet these guys? <laughs> wait a minute. How come you ain't practicing <laughs> before he like goes, you know, okay. goes in on me? I said, wait a minute. why aren't you practicing? Uh, you remember that commercial where the guy comes in, you know, the commercial where the doctor comes in and says, oh, yeah. man, I just
3: got reinstated. <laughs> right, right,
0: right, right. I
3: just got reinstated. Yeah, I guess really- <laughs> uh, uh, A good point. And in this letter, they were asking what the doctor's activities was, status of their license. So for the most part, it would be the retirees. A lot of docs retired early. You know, and a few years ago, they mandated that electronic medical record. And there's some doctors just said, I'm not doing that. So there were a lot of doctors who were, you know, early 60s, uh, who just said, I'm not doing that. And they retired. So they're probably close to 70 now, but still have skills and be able to come out and, and help out. So I think I think your points were taken, Bill. Why is the doctor not practicing? It should be by his own choice, and not because he was suspended for some reason, not because of bad behavior. Um, so I think for the most part, those are the guys that they're trying to, to bring back, the retirees.
1: Right.
3: Just, uh, just, just
1: one point. Uh, yeah, this is a sports show, so I just want to give Tom's... Uh, Tom's uh, uh, credentials as an athlete. So he was, Tom played on one of the greatest Dartmouth football teams ever. Uh, he didn't always say, the record says that. Uh, and he also played with Ben Wilson at Dartmouth who is uh, Russell Wilson's uh, uncle, I believe. So That's correct. is from Ohio was a big deal, big time All-American high school player in uh, Ohio. Uh, so, you know, He's not a Pharisee. He he understands, you know, he, you know. He's he's done it. He's had his, you know, fist his fist in the ground. Um, now, how he made the transition from that into medicine is a whole another story. What? Well, my my question is, you know, I was just at the Super Bowl. I mean, right? So all this stuff is, you know, no no fans and all that. So I'm thinking, wait a minute. Now, in in February, I'm at you know I'm at the I'm at the Super Bowl. January, I'm at you know Kansas City for playoff game. Fifty thousand people, sixty thousand people crammed together. You know, uh, buying popcorn, sneezing on each other, got you in the bathroom, not washing their hands, All this kind of stuff. So I'm wondering, were all those more people sick, sick to come, or uh, or is this something new? Or uh, you know, I mean, what's, I, I you know, explain that how all those people could be together just like in january february and now we're shutting everything down um are we overreacting or are we bracing for something
3: new well i think your point that uh, in recent months there have been large gatherings and what could be the potential outcome for that you know the virus really kind of got started december january um, and then it sort of made its way into the united states sort of from the west Coast. And of course, New York, with all the travel in New York, you know, in New York and in the East Coast, the middle of the country hasn't been spared, but they have a much smaller problem. You know, I think the virus really wasn't that prevalent in the, like in January and February of this year, because if that was the case, a lot of those people who were at the Super Bowl would be sick and we'd be hearing about that. Uh, we're not hearing about that. But what I do think that it's important to be proactive. You know, when I'm making rounds with the residents, I tell them, you know, we don't always deal with what's most likely. I think we should deal with the worst case scenario first, worst first. And I think here, when we have a virus that's very contagious, uh, that can make you very sick, and there is no cure, you got to be really careful. And we do know it is spread by close contact and droplets, which means, you know, sneezing and coughing, or a person who sneezed and coughed in their hands and then touched you. You know, it's a different story. I mean, before when you went to a game, all you had to worry about was that the guy sitting next to you didn't have too much to drink. You know, yeah. now, now I think you have to worry the guy next to you doesn't have a disease that will kill you. So I think it was proper for them to cancel events where people would be in close proximity and keep it closed until the virus and its contagion, you know, has really died down. So going forward, they're talking about seasons.
1: Is this going to, you know, just like after 9-11, it changed the way that we just couldn't go right to the plane. We had to go through all types of screening. Is, do you think there's going to be a a new order, you know, when the gates open in terms of fans going to games? Is it going to be, you got to show the fact that you're tested or,
3: you know, what do you what do you think? Well, I, I, I don't think they're going to be people taking your temperature, you know, every time it becomes a turnstop. Hopefully, you know, this disease is going to go away. We don't know how it's going to respond to warm weather. Um, And then some diseases do peak. You don't do anything. They just peak and go away. So that would be best case scenario. Um, Another case scenario would be an accelerated cure is found or a vaccine is found for this, which would make it less of a problem. I don't think that this infection, will change behavior, you know, in the sports stadiums in small towns or the arenas in big cities, you know, in the future, uh, as long as the disease dies out and goes away and becomes like, you know, a seasonal flu. But we don't really worry about seasonal flu, you know, uh, in the middle of winter and sports arenas, even though some people have the flu, because it's, it's not prevalent, not devastating. So hopefully, you know, this will be less of a problem. So i now there's speculation about all of this. I don't think in the future that this should really affect behavior in stadiums and how fans regard going into a crowded arena the way we have to with the possibility, you know, of terrorism.
0: Do you think it all it all comes down to you know when a, a vaccine becomes available? And you know, in terms of what you were just uh speaking about, in terms of not being a you know, not affecting future behavior in terms of going to games and being in large crowds is that do you feel that's totally dependent
3: on a vaccine i think it would be more dependent on the behavior of the virus which is not clear there is a different you know there are other coronaviruses and one of them i think it's mer, but it's not covid 19 uh you get that and you have immunity it doesn't occur again yeah. what happened to people after covid 19 is not clear uh there are not uh as far as I know, case reports of people who've really had it and then get it again. So it may be you get a little touch of it, never knew you had it, and you can't get it anymore. So the behavior of the virus as to how it affects you in the future, you know, isn't clarified. Vaccines take a while to develop, and then you have to test them. They are, they are months away. Even if you fast track it, they are months away. And I've had one patient who has been critically ill with corona, who, who was taking the hydroxychloroquine, the anti-malarial drug, and was taking the antibiotic, is this Um, And it's not even clear that it helps a lot. What is clear is that in China they used it and some people were, so I think it's worth a try. But hydroxychloroquine has some s- terrible side effects. I mean, it can drop your blood count, drop your platelet count, you can bleed, it can give you something called toxic epidermolysis, your skin peels... So we, we don't want to have people taking that uh, just because we think it might work. It'd have to be established. it have to be someone who's critically ill otherwise.
2: Dr. Price, I've heard that SARS was the last coronavirus that, was, that really kind of struck a global population. Do you think this is just going to happen more and more, and this is just kind of like we just need to get better at dealing with these types of epidemics?
3: You know, epidemics and pandemics and... You know, infectious disasters have been around and plagues, you know, throughout mankind. This will not be the last one. But hopefully, every time we get one, you know, we can mobilize and be better prepared. Just like with the Ebola virus and the SARS, you know, we learn how to get people in the right place, get people isolated if needed to be. Uh, What's important that when you have something that's a pandemic, that you don't panic? and there's a spirit of cooperation between uh the healthcare professionals the politicians and the people
0: based based on what you've said to this point like there's a lot we don't know there's there's you know it's hard to predict obviously how long this lasts but do you have any any feeling about you know whether this is months um uh, could it be a whole year you know where we're social distancing Um, Do you have any feeling as far as that goes?
2: Yeah, Mark Cuban said that he thinks the NBA season will resume in June. Do you think that's possible? I think
3: He he and Donald Uh, Trump are drinking out of the same trough.
0: (laughs) Well, Trump is earlier than that.
3: Yeah, he wants Easter. I I think Easter would be an Easter miracle. Right. Um, I do think NBA playoffs in June are a long shot. You know, I think it'd be a long shot, but uh, not out of the question. Again, it's all speculation. And what's this virus going to do in warmer weather? Uh, what's going to happen in terms of people who have it who who are, who are not contagious and can't get it again? And you know, June. You know, this is a, this is the third month. That's six months or three months away. Can we get a virus in three months? I doubt. So, from my standpoint, I would be surprised if we're playing basketball in June.
0: And what about what about football? training camp, um, you know, beginning of the season, would it be your best guess that that gets pushed back?
3: At, at this point, because we haven't seen a peak in the infection and contagion, I think that's going to be pushed back. Uh, will there be a season? You know, I, I think, you know, six months from now, things will be a lot better. So I think there would be a season, you know, maybe a shortened season, uh, training camp shorter, preseason shorter, maybe even the regular season shorter. But football, right? Do you
1: see fans going back into the the stadiums, or do you see you know at some some during the tournament, during what was going to be the tournament, a lot of conferences were uh, resigned to having state fanless stadiums, you know, fanless arenas. They were they were open to it, and uh, it makes sense because hey, if you get sponsors, you know, the sponsors is what is what is, is what's paying all the numbers and the salaries. So could you see that?
3: Well, if there's any question about there still being a infectious issue, but it's well controlled and, you know, players are healthy and documented as healthy. I mean, I could see playing games, you know, without fans. Uh, Clearly, you know, know, as, as LeBron said, I'm not playing. You know, athletes love playing in front of fans, you know, playing in front of home fans is better than away fans. Uh, the intensity of the game, the emotion of the game, is going to change without fans. But you can still play. But it might be like a scrimmage. And you
0: still get paid. And you still get paid, right? But you still get paid. <laughs> That's the key.
3: How do you how to keep yourself
1: safe? Uh, I mean, you, you're you around people, you know, who've got this disease. How, how are physicians, you in particular, how are you keeping yourself Uh, safe, and then you're still
3: going home. Well, I think, you know, um, there has to be an abundance of caution. This is probably the last day I'm wearing a tie. I just ordered like, you know, eight different sets of scrub suits, and I'm going to be wearing scrub suits on a daily basis. I will come to the hospital and change the scrub suit. I will leave the scrub suit here and change when I go home. And as soon as I get home, I take those clothes off, and I'm wearing things pretty much are wash and wear. I take those clothes off, put them in the basement, go take a shower and change clothes right away. And I I think most physicians who are in the hospital seeing patients are doing that. Mm -hmm. A lot of physicians who are uh, not really seeing sick patients have not really done that. But I believe in abundance of caution because I don't know exactly how it is. Uh, And I have a family at home. I want to take that bug home. I don't want the book on on me. I don't want to take it home for sure. So I think most people have really changed their behavior. There's one doctor telling me the day, his wife makes him change his clothes uh, in the garage in the mudroom and comes <laughs> in the house naked and takes a shower. <laughs> <laughs> Hello.
2: You seem very calm. Are you, Are you worried at all? Or did, and and when you talk to your family about you, you know, coming home, are they worried?
3: Um. I don't think so. I think they take their cues from me that, I mean, kind of as behavior in general, I've always told them, you don't have to get upset until I do. Mm. And for most of what I do, I'm, I'm sort of the Calvary. That when people call me, there's a problem. The cavalry can't be scared. Uh, I'm not that guy standing up saying I love to smell the napalm in the morning, but uh, I, I'm not really bulletproof. But I can dodge a bullet pretty well. I think if I'm careful, I'm not worried about
0: it. What about you know the everyday the everyday citizen you know particularly in New York um obviously, we're supposed to stay in the house um but you you know you can take walks, you can you know ride your bike as you said um you know can't do you think it's smart to you know let's say I go out with my son and throw a football and the football falls on the ground is, you know, and picking up germs. Is that a, is that a real uh, concern I should have? You know, what, what's the, you know, what kind of precautions should, should, should people really be taking?
1: You got to teach that boy how to catch, man. That's why That's true. That's true. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> So when said, Yeah, well, you know, I got to How'd you get those great hands, Kareem? Well, you know, as a kid, during the coronavirus, had, you know, we had a the
3: ball couldn't hit the ground. <laughs> wow. Exactly. That's the good thing about the coronavirus, you know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think during times of stress, physical activity and exercise, you know, are really something that should be done it's almost not elective. I mean, it's clear that for stress reduction, exercise helps, and that's any kind of exercise. But I think at this point in time, exercise should be something that you do with that social distancing. If you're going to walk, uh, don't walk in a large group, walk with a small group, keep your distance while you walk. Now for me, <clears throat> it's almost a little artificial for me to take a walk with my kids and tell them to stay at distance when we were sitting on the same sofa in the house. Right. But I do think there's a practicality here. Uh, for immediate family members, I think social distancing means a little something different. But that being said, uh, when you're in public, I think you should keep a social distance from everybody. Uh, the safest thing is solitary stuff. You're walking by yourself. You're, you're running by yourself. You're riding a bicycle by yourself. You're not playing pickup basketball. Right. Um, I mean, I, you know, golf is something... That's a possibility because you're pretty far away from the people you're playing with, for the most part. But I think most of the clubs, you know, and the courses are closed, so you, you really couldn't do that. Uh, but I do think, especially when people have been inside and go and stir crazy, getting outside, getting some fresh air, taking a walk, taking a run, taking a bike ride, you know, is something that should be encouraged.
2: Dr. Price, you mentioned about you know walking with your kids. Um, so what happens if you if your partner becomes sick? Like, do you are you like I read in the Times today this account of of a of a woman who had to take care of her, her husband and they went to great lengths to keep her separate from him. I guess I kind of assume that if you are living with someone has coronavirus, you just gotta suck it up. I don't know. What do you suggest?
3: Well, I think if you're living with someone with coronavirus, you know, you don't want to get a load of the virus from that person. So if you have someone in your household with a virus, you will have them wear a mask. You're going to keep washing your hands and, and keeping you know, some distance from them. But there's a reality here is that you do live in the same house, uh, but you do want to be conscious and protective of one another. But there is you know, some practicality to that. But I think the most important thing is that in households, where there is someone who's positive, that person wears a mask, you know, practices very intense hand hygiene, uh, coughing or sneezing, I mean, you know, we talk about sleeves. I mean, I, I, you know, we do do that. That's better than blowing out in the air. I think even better than that is to carry tissues. You put it in the tissues, and then you dispose of the tissue as opposed to carrying around an arm that's full of virus.
0: Right. Uh, doctors, doctors, you know, obviously you're a doctor. You you, you were an athlete. Uh, there's been this uh, slight controversy about NBA um, M- uh, Teams and or just at, you know, professional athletes in general being able to get testing, and I guess not, and that I guess that has more to do with um, you know having the means or you know all people with you know it seems like rich people are able to get tested uh, compared to you know regular people. Um, you know what, what's your take on that issue? Do you, do you feel there's a problem with that? And and what's your what's your take on the testing that we've done as a country in general?
3: Well, one thing about this disease has been pretty democratic. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy or poor or brown or black or yellow, you get it. Uh, And I think from that standpoint, uh, everyone should be able to get tested who requires it. How do we define that? Clearly someone who is sick, who has a respiratory virus with the symptoms of I'm coughing, I got a fever, I'm short of breath, they get tested. Um, If you are feeling ill, uh, and have a respiratory illness, you'll get tested. But people who are anxious and nervous, who who, uh, who, who want to know, uh, they're not going to get tested because there's a limit to, to kids. Now, America is a democracy, but we all, all also know that, you know, wealth and privilege generally gets an advantage. Um, and I think there are circumstances where people of means have been able to get the test and didn't deserve to have. It. I do think that we have to be much more strenuous about who gets the test because the number of the kits that are available are limited. So wealth here shouldn't make a difference. You know, now, um, Neurochel was one of the first places to have a drive-through testing site. It didn't matter who you were. You had to go through a process, and you, you had to give your symptoms, um, uh, come there. Were there people who may have given bogus symptoms I wouldn't doubt that, but I think under this set of criteria, I think everybody wants to pull together and look out for one another. And getting the test because you're nervous or anxious or just want to know is wrong.
1: Did you? Did you there's a story um, uh, this morning about doctors who were, you know, getting writing these bogus prescriptions for themselves, for family members, friends to get these pills. You know, the pills, the malaria pills, whatever those things were. They were ordering, like, you know, lots of them. And uh, to the point that somebody had to write a memo or I guess somebody at the CDC or something. But it, again, it was, again, doctors, some doctors write these prescriptions to get this pill, these pills.
3: There, there are always people who um, have bad judgment, uh, who, are, uh, who take advantage of the system, and it just downright dishonest. Uh, and I think taking advantage of the situation like that is, is clearly improper. Um, I'm not going to say immoral. It's, it's clearly improper. And personally, I think it's also stupid, because to give someone that medication as a prophylaxis, uh, how long are they going to take it? You know, how, I mean, how long is this going to be a problem? And as I said before, there are some serious side effects associated with hydroxychloroquine. I would not give it to my family member unless they were critically ill. So those guys who would think they're being big shots and and doing somebody a favor by giving those medications are setting them up for a problem.
1: How would you, you know, I've been driving, uh, I'm in Columbus now, I've been driving toward New York from beginning in Phoenix. You know, no. uh, hey, I just didn't want to, you know, I've been flying. I said, you know what, let me just if I'm gonna roll the dice, let me roll it this way. <laughs> you know, I'll be in my, I'll be in my car. You know, sanitize again. But um, and then I'm down here in Columbus. I'm thinking, I'm seeing this news, news of New York. So I'm like, damn, maybe I should just stay in Columbus for another six months. You know. <laughs> but uh, are there any precautions to take going into New York? I mean, I, I got to pick up my car at Laguardia Airport. You know, thinking how I can sneak around that. Return to rent a car. You know, sneak around that. Um, you know, is it six one hand, half better the other? You know, in terms of driving versus flying, and you know, is it all just a matter of luck?
3: Well, you know, driving in your own car, where you have control of that environment, um, is a pretty safe way to go. Uh, airplanes, where the public is, they don't have control of everybody gets in there, but they've been very conscientious about sanitizing the planes between flights. Uh, that air is recirculated on a regular basis and is pretty safe from that standpoint. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say that uh, air travel is, you know, something that's dangerous. I think it should be done only when necessary, not, you know, because uh, you thought it was a good idea or you had uh, other other means of transportation that, that uh, you just didn't want to take. I think if I had the choice between a drive and a flight right now, I think I would drive my car. Uh, when I got to New York, I certainly would, every time I touched a surface, as soon as I could wash my hands, I would. And certainly, you know, keeping the idea of paper towels and tissues in your pocket so that when you touched a handle or doorknobs, you would do that with that paper that paper, paper towel. Uh, some people say, should everybody wear gloves? I don't think everybody should wear gloves. If you have access to gloves and you're going to be in a public sort of setting... It's not a bad idea.
1: Hey, well, Todd, this has been great, man. I know, uh, you know, uh, you know, people are looking for some, you know, at times like this, when, like you said, there's no cure, nobody has an answer. But it is great just to hear you talk just kind of methodically about, in common sense-wise, about something that nobody really has answers to.
0: Once again, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible Audible has over 180,000 book titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. For you, the listeners of the Bill Roden on Sports podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30 day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. We highly recommend that you check out the classic $40 million Slaves, the rise, fall, and Redemption of the Black Athlete by the one and only William C. Roden. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on sports. Again, that's audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on sports for your free audio book. we to
2: talk about Cam
1: Newton, Bill. Cam Newton? Tom, yeah. you want to talk about Cam Newton? <laughs> uh, I
3: don't know about a lot about Cam Newton. All I know is he didn't fall on that ball and I ain't liked him since.
0: <laughs> he what? He you did what? what? He fumbled it? He
3: didn't fall yeah. on that ball oh, he didn't... and I haven't liked him since. Yeah, you You're know a know football what? player. There's a ball there. Yeah. And a... you back up, I'm sorry.
0: Right. No, I hear you.
3: I, yeah, you I grew mean, up playing football you, in Ohio. We don't do that. <laughs> 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 I hear that. We want, we want the ball. <laughs> That's right.
1: Well, everybody said Cam made a business decision. You know? Because you, <laughs> you can see his wheels turn. yeah. So then, I guess years later, Carolina made a business decision too. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. Okay. Yeah. What do you think of Tom Brady going to uh, to take James Winston's job? Another uh, well, let me tell uh, you this.
3: <laughs> since since Tom Brady had that "Make America Great Again" hat on, they could have traded him to Canada. I don't care.
0: Hmm. I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, so we'll see. What do you? Who do you, So I, I guess you don't. Uh, I mean, if you if you just thought, just sports wise, and just you know, in terms of in terms of uh, how you see the game, who, who do you see having a better season, New England or Tampa Bay next year?
3: New England. <laughs> I think I think he's a I think he's an aged quarterback who's had tremendous luck, and part of that he forged because he took so great care of himself. Right. But he also didn't get hit hard. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, he he's a target. Um, so I think New England still has a lot of players, and I think the quarterback may be the most valuable guy on the team in some respect. But they still—it's it, a team sport. It's not—it's not, a, it's not a, you know called you know quarterback ball. It's called football. Right. And those guys who who play it and play it well are still there. So I think New England is probably going to have a better season.
0: And I you know uh, uh, Terry Bradshaw. You know who who makes some off the wall comments. I actually agree with him uh, recently when he when he said, you know, he knows that Belichick can win without Brady. He does not know if Brady can win without Belichick, um, and I agree with that. And especially, like you said, he's a 43 – I mean, he's forty three years old. He didn't. Ha- he wasn't a great quarterback last year at forty two, and we know you're not going to get better with age. So, right, right. You know, I, I definitely put my money on uh, New England. Also, yeah.
1: Oh, Jameis Winston, I would love to see Jameis Winston in New England.
0: Either him or Cam. Mm. Yeah,
1: and you talk, either him or Cam, and you talk about just sticking the knife in. it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I could win with him. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, you gotta, yeah, you just have to tone down the interceptions. I'm sure Belichick could help uh, Jameis with that. Throw, you know, just throw about half the, the number of interceptions and everything else you keep the same.
2: Well, how about the relationship with, like, it, it feels like Robert Kraft is having a hard time letting go of Brady and Belichick. I mean, if he is, you have no idea. He took out that ad in the Tampa Bay times. He had that tweet about, it's like when your mother and father get in the way of a marriage, like.
0: Oh, who Kraft crafted that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Kraft said that. Um, and I think the, I've heard that the interpretation is that the mother, father, you know, part of his tweet is about Belichick. <laughs>
0: I don't know. But I mean, it uh, makes, it makes ever, sense. It makes sense. Belichick, you know, he never, he's not going to tip his, I mean, he's a football coach and he's, you know, you're taught, you're taught just to, you know, move on, accept things as they are, not let people know how you feel. I mean, Belichick is not going to show any emotion about, and plus he's probably extremely confident in what he can do with or without Brady.
1: Right. On. Now were you ever tempted to go in to, uh, to work with a team, being a team physician, or were you ever a consultant with a team?
3: Well, you remember the World League of American Football? Yes. I was the medical doctor for that team. The um, team physician was actually an orthopedist, Steve O'Brien, from special surgery, but they needed a medical guy. So I was actually the medical doctor for that team. You know, most of the stuff that happens on a team is, you know, bones and joints and muscles. But every now and then somebody gets dizzy at practice or, you know, sick. And so I was the medical doctor. And it it was kind of fun. Uh, one of the things they did, they had three or four players from an NFL team um, on each one of those teams in the World League. And when they came down, they got a Lloyd's of London insurance policy. So if they got hurt playing in the World League, they would get paid for, I get two or three years of their NFL salary. But as part of that, they had to have these physical examinations. So I had to go down to Orlando, and examine all these guys. There was one guy who had abnormal EKG and a heart problem, and I couldn't clear him. He didn't threaten my life, but he, he, he did clearly <laughs> let me know that he was very unhappy about it. Yeah. But to his credit, when he uh, went to see – he had played linebacker at Notre Dame and was from Atlanta, Georgia. He went back to Georgia to uh, Grady and, and, or Emory, and he saw a cardiologist. He had something called WPW, Wolf-Parkinson-White. That's one of those things. Athletes is like drop dead from, and to his credit, he wrote me a letter saying thank you after the fact. Um, but that's, you know, that that's unusual that you'll find somebody who has a a critical illness like that, because uh, most of the stuff of football players, you know, bones and joints and, and muscles.
0: What, what did you take? This is always interesting to me. What do you? What did you take? You know, what did you learn from from football playing it at a high level, playing in college? That transfers uh, to the medical profession.
3: Um, you know, even though even though you might be tired, you guys still play. Uh, and there are times when you know uh, you have to prepare to play your best game, which means I have to keep up, uh, go to courses, go to classes. You know, so it's like training. You don't go. You don't hit those weights. You know, you don't get out there and run, you're not going to play well. If I don't continue to train and learn, I'm not going to be a good physician or a good player. But, you know, sports, you know, also taught me that uh, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a close connection between the mental and the physical. Yes. That you are physically in shape uh, when your wind is good. Whatever you got to do, you can do it better. You know, I used to have, if I had a, you know, a test or a big lecture... I would always get up early and take a run uh, and, and come back. And I'm convinced that, that, you know, I've actually performed better after I had worked out and cleared my head and had my body relax. So I think there's a, there's a mind-body connection that, that we sometimes neglect, especially as we get older. But I think there's no limit to, to the value of exercise and conditioning at your life when you're young, when you're middle-aged, and maybe even especially when you get older. It's got to change. I love running. I can't run anymore. I ride the hell out of that bike, though. Right.
1: This music to Aaron's ear. Aaron has run, what, five marathons,
2: Aaron?
1: Seven. Aaron has run seven marathons. I'm impressed. We're right there with you. Yeah. (laughs) So listen, we we could go on this forever, but I think that this is probably a good place to end. I know that there's a lot of sports going on, but I think that this... This whole all the talk of the virus. I mean, I hope this has been like a little light reprieve for the virus. But uh, hopefully, in a week, or two weeks, or three, or four, or five weeks, or maybe a month, maybe we'll be back to uh, sports. But you know, one of the things I said, Tom. You know, people were talking about they would be mean uh, the the uh, end of the basketball season and no March Madness. Said, so, well, we use that as an escape?" And you know, it dawned on me as being somebody in the industry maybe we didn't need an escape around now. It seemed like we needed to be really focused. We've got a big election coming, and maybe we didn't need March Madness. You know, maybe we didn't need the distraction of the NBA playoffs. Maybe we need to be focused on people registering to vote, you know, talking about issues, uh, talking about, um, you know, just other things that really matter. Uh, I get the distraction. There'll be plenty of time for that. But it seems like for the next few months, we, we should really just be focused. So maybe... In a way, we didn't, we don't need the uh, the distractions of, of sports as a uh, as, as a uh, what do you call it an escape. Maybe we don't need to escape. You know, we need to stay right. <laughs> as unpleasant as it is, we need to look the truth straight in the eye, or well, not the truth, but the opponent straight in the eye, and say, right. okay, here we are. So right, right. All right, but but when sports does come back. We'll bring you back. <laughs> we can, we can talk about Ivy League football, maybe you know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Respectfully, by that, huh? Respectfully, huh? Yeah. Respectfully.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course, well, as always, you know, <laughs> you know. The Ivy League, the Ivy Leagues were the first one to cancel the basketball tournament.
0: Right, right. That's when I knew. I was like, okay, this is what's going to happen. Once the Ivy League uh, the tournament, they canceled the tournament. I was like, okay. They know, you know. But
1: now the president, <laughs> we know it's coming. President, the president has come down with the virus.
0: Wow, of of what? The Ivy League?
1: The, uh, the president of Harvard. Oh, Harvard has come down <clears> the, uh, with the virus. Oh
3: goodness, I know, I know that. Okay. Just about a day well, ago. Hey, it's hey, it's a, de- a democratic disease. Everybody.
2: Everybody.
1: Yeah. Right. So anyway, listen. So for for uh, my co-host Aaron Mathewson the great Jamal Murphy, uh the brilliant Tom Price, everybody, everybody take care of themselves out there. Uh and we will see you uh again next week. This is very exciting. This is our first, this is our first Zoom podcast. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, so, you know, we can innovate. Anyway, so we'll see you guys next week. Uh, God bless and everybody take care of yourself. All
3: right. Take care. Bye bye.